What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the C-String Podcast. This is episode number 13, and today we're going to be going over our sixth iteration of Classic Rock Talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know what that means, we got Cole here with me. Yep. We got three brand new albums, as always, three brand new bands. We're ready to get into it. Um, maybe my favorite week so far. Maybe my favorite week to go over these. Pretty uh, pretty strong one. This I will is a say very that. strong. Yeah, um, not necessarily. Uh, we didn't go with sort of like the niche side of it this time either. Um, we we went with some more popular ones, but I mean we really like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think let's just go ahead and get started. We always just go ahead and jump right in. There's no reason to wait. <clears throat> so we're gonna start. Uh, 1964. Am I right with that? Yeah, 64. Okay, 64. And we're just going to go up and we're going to the, uh, to the debut album of The Kinks, mm-hmm. which is called Kinks. <laughs> uh, they had, uh, was it Pi Records? Yeah, it was Pi Records in the UK and I think maybe even internationally, but here in the UK, U- UK. <laughs> US, it's a reprise. But, yeah. Reprise, okay. Yeah, reprise. Those uh, 1960s uh, labels really test my test my knowledge. Yeah, there's like EMI, all these there's other some weird random ones. ass ones. There's some weird ones. It gets easy after like 1970s, 80s, because it's just Warner Brothers. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Warner Brothers, CBS. Yeah, CBS. Columbia. Columbia, yep. Um, but we'll just, we'll, we'll get into our, our dudes here. <laughs> <laughs> we have Ray Davies, who was the lead and background vocalist. Uh, he played a lot of different stuff, though. Yeah, he did. not just sing. Um, it's, we've got on here, it's rhythm guitar, harmonica, lead guitar, but I'm sure he did more than that, too. Uh, yeah. I know this guy. Uh, I've seen some stuff on him before. I know he did more than just that. <clears throat> and then you have the most creative name I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Dave Davies. Incredible. <laughs> wow. Brilliant. Uh, he was more of a backup vocalist, but kind of like his brother, they were. He could also basically do anything. But yeah, he was mainly the guitarist, and there's one song in here in particular that he was uh, very instrumental in making. Not on purpose necessarily, but um, yeah. And then we rounded out with a couple of interesting names. <laughs> we really we had to look up how to pronounce these guys' names. Um, so we're gonna give it a try here. Why don't you go first? Okay, so their um, bass guitarist was Pete Quaif. Okay. Um, Google Translate told me that. So if that's wrong, Pete Quaif, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry, Pete Quaif. We know you're listening. Uh, yeah, we're sorry. If that's definitely wrong. listening to this. <laughs> okay, and then I'll I'll try this one. We have Mick Avora. Avoir, avoir, something like that. Something weird. It ends with a Y, but that's not how it's pronounced. Uh, but he was the percussionist. Mm-hmm. Um, so a four-man band, uh, mainly. Uh, but man, they did a really fucking good job with and this album. Yeah, they also had a um, a decent amount of uh, guest guest work. Yeah, uh, people on here. Like yeah. they had um, Jimmy Page, which this would be. Probably Yardbirds, Jimmy Page, um, and they also had uh, John Lord 
on key on a uh, organ, which yep. is pretty fucking that's cool. cool. This is four years before Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you guys yeah, if you guys didn't know, that's where he's that's where he's most popular is Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty damn cool. List seeing people before their big their big breakout and how he had a successful track, I would say. Yeah, and it was, a successful part of this track. It was pretty good, and um, yeah, this, I think it was a pretty solid album overall, actually. But if you want to get into the track yeah, we'll listings. get into the tra- track listing here. So we have two sides as as per usual. Uh, on side one, we have Beautiful Delilah, So Mystifying, Just Can't Go to Sleep, Long Tall Shorty, I Took My Baby Home, I'm a Lover Not a Fighter, and You Really Got Me. And then on side two, we have Cadillac, Bald Headed Woman, uh, Too Much Monkey Business, uh, I've Been Driving, Oh Bald Mountain, Stop Your Sobbing, and Get Love If You Want It. Yeah, um... As with a lot of blues bands at this time, a lot of the songs are covers. Like, I think there's probably three Chuck Berry songs on here, a Bo Diddley song. Yeah, that was something you mentioned to me. I didn't really notice it, but you noticed it when you listened to the album. Mm-hmm. You noticed that you had, hey, had heard these songs before. Yeah, which, I mean, they're great covers of them, actually. Yeah. I, I think they're very solid covers. And that Bald-Headed Woman one is the one that has John Lord in it. Yeah. So. Do you want to go hear some pre-Deep Purple John Lord? Go listen to that song. But yeah. I think the um, the standout track on this album is "You Really Got Me." Um, oh, for sure. One hundred percent started. Hey, I don't even know how to describe a different sound to rock um, with that. You know, the distorted guitar. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you don't hear any of that, even in this album. Yeah, this it's, is like the only song. It has that more blues sound up until that point, and then that song it really switches it up, which I'm pretty sure it was the only single from this album. Yeah. If I remember right, and it completely smashed the Billboard charts, if I remember right also. But um, to think that just taking a razor blade to your speaker cone... <laughs> yeah, changes the... Changes, changes the, the course of history, yeah. pretty much. Incredible. Um, but as this is definitely a more bluesy track, though uh, album, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, Which and when this album came out, it was met with kind of shaky reviews. But um, you really got me boosted the um, amount of love this album got because just how different it was and stand out. Yeah. Which great guitar solo in that song. Yeah, you, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Um, and I'm sure you know the guitar solo we're talking about because it's it's on the radio all the time. Uh, it, it's nothing that compared to it at the time for 1964. That's a that's a pretty big pretty big step in a in a different direction. Yeah, it is. Van Van Halen even covered it. So that's how you know. Yeah, huge band. That's how I knew. That's how I knew this song. It, uh, I originally heard this Van Halen version, mm-hmm. and then I heard, and then I found out that it was only a cover. Um, and that's what led me to this album, actually, because um, I think the first Kink song I heard ever was um, Lola. Yeah. On uh, uh, what's the album? It's uh, it's something. It's like the it, something the Power Man and I can I can picture the cover art. Yeah. In my head, I can't I can't picture the album name, but I heard that I've heard that I heard that song a little while ago a long while ago 
Mm-hmm. And that's the, but that is I didn't even know it was the Kinks at the time. And then I heard it again one day when I was in the car with you or something. And we were going we were going somewhere, yeah. and it just reminded me that I'd heard it, looked up about it, and that's when I heard of the Kinks. And holy cow, did these guys crank out music? Oh yeah, hundred percent. They were just machines, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, we were look. I was looking on the Apple Music like page and. It has all of their lists of albums, and I noticed that from like 1964 to 1984, they they didn't release an album in like two years. Like in 1968, they didn't make one, and I think in like 1981. But other than that, every year they had an album release, which is nuts. I mean, that, that is absolutely insane. Yeah, it's crazy, especially if they're doing their own like songwriting in that. Because I'm mm-hmm. assuming the reason why they did covers here is just because they're just kind of stepping out into the unknown but if that's all original material that is insane um just absolutely crazy and uh um as far as my favorite track goes um i would say i really liked long tall shorty but i don't know if i want to pick a cover mm -hmm. um but even though when you when you when you think cover you think okay my initial thought which is not it's not it's not smart. I should stop thinking this is like, oh, it's this. They're singing the same song the same exact way. Well, one of those things is true. They're singing the same song, mm-hmm. but they're not playing it the same exact way. Yeah. Um, that and that's true for basically any cover, um, you find out there. There are some covers where they'll do the same thing, just in in the sense of like paying respects and all that. But yeah, this is. I think they definitely did a very good job covering these songs in their own bluesy manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I would probably go with Long Tall Shorty is really good. I love So Mystifying as well. Mm-hmm. I love I'm a Lover Not a Fighter. I love Cadillac. I love Too Much Monkey Business. There's a lot. I've added a basically this whole album on my playlist. Uh, it's a really good album. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, come on. It was their only smash hit. It was a huge step in the right direction. It's the rock that I love. It's a step away from that blues. I mm-hmm. have to go with You Really Got Me. Yeah, it's just... It's, if it wasn't on here, I'm sure I'd pick a lot more. But it's yeah, it's hard for me to pick something over this song yeah. just because of how insane it is. Um. It's yeah, really weird. And then this songs or this album's got thirteen songs, mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting there. Like uh, a little bit lopsided on the A side to the B side. But speaking of B side, do we have B side blues here? No, I honestly the only reason I think we would is you really got me. That's that's what I was thinking. But take I don't away know. that song, these two sides are basically the exact same thing. Yeah, you really got me as really a. Uh, it's a very very high point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right in the middle. It's the it's the climax of this album's story. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh, I, 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 I completely agree though. No, no B side blues here. These are all you. When I listen to this album, I listen to it all the way through. Yeah, it's great. It's it absolutely great. Um, but I think that's where we'll leave it here. Um, mm-hmm. that's the Kinks. Uh, I guess Kinks by the Kinks. Uh, remember the Davy Brothers and those names that I'm not going to try to pronounce again. Quaven Avora. Avora, yeah, those two guys, really, really great band, uh, and a lot of a lot of 
extra help at the time from yeah. other artists, which is pretty impressive for 1964. It is, and they're, I don't want to say Jimmy Page was unknown, but relatively unknown people that went on to become insanely successful. You have to put a lot of trust in people who aren't well-known, even yourselves and your band members. You have to put trust in them to think that they're going to be performing very admirably and very well to, to your standard, I guess is what I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did that. They did that great. I love the... Is, he plays the organ in uh, Bald Headed yeah. Woman. Yeah. Pretty I, much his his specialty. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. But... Which, um, speaking of trusting your bandmates, this band unfortunately had issues with that during this period. But um, this record was released in um, 1979 to a uh, very, very insane reception um so this one you might be able to get this one this is a insanely popular 1979 yes like 1979 hit this is out of the park yeah absolutely just blow blow blown away blown away by the reception this got um but we'll go ahead and reveal it's the wall by pink floyd by pink floyd um this is a monster of an album um insane released on harvest in the uk columbia and us again that different distribution yeah yeah but um i put gentlemen on this one because (laughs) these guys are so creative in each of their own rights i don't think i just label them as (laughs) yeah i'm sorry we can't do that to these guys um as much as i respect the other guys too man Holy cow. Let's just go ahead. Go through the... Go yeah, through the so list. this uh, record was produced by Bob Ezrin and James uh, Guthrie, and I only mention that because a lot of this album's success and how like the story weaves together is thanks to Bob Ezrin. But um, Roger Waters played, from what I could find, everything except for drums on uh, different tracks. And same with D- David Gilmore. It just seemed like they fucking switched instruments and did the job. And we we mentioned that before. Like, okay, these people play everything. Well, these guys played... They played everything, like, literally, like, every instrument you can think of. Yeah. Kind of everything. Um, Nick Mason did the drums and percussion work, and um, Rick Wright was on keyboards, but during this, um, he was fired and was not considered a member of Pink Floyd. He was still getting paid, but... um, That's really interesting, though. Yeah, this is really where that Pink Floyd story, you know, starts to show itself. And, um, yeah, this is where the cracks officially broke. But um, a notable guest I noticed on this record was uh, uh, Jeff Procario of uh, Toto. Oh, drums yeah. on Mother. Um, fantastic drummer, by the way. Yeah. I mean, if you've heard Toto, you know. I think his dad was also on this record, too. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think his dad also did a drumming uh, song cool. on here. But yeah. Um, do you want to do the track listings? Sure. Let's get into it. We have a lot of tracks. So yes, prepare, we do. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> so, let's start with... You're, you're, you're going to know that there's a lot of tracks by how many sides we're going to go through. Mm-hmm. So side one, we have In the Flesh. 
The Thin Ice, Another Brick in the Wall Part 1, The Happiest Days of Our Lives, Another Brick in the Wall Part 2, and Mother. Should we just, should we start there and... Yeah, I say we work our way, I can, say we discuss and work our way down, but okay. um, side one is definitely insane. <laughs> um, no questions about it. In the flesh where the story all begins, I get goosebumps when I hear um, his uh, father's plane crashing in, at the end of the, the song. End. Yeah, that um, is, that is very, that's very, um, that's very emotional. Yeah, it is insane. And um, I forgot to mention, but a lot of this album is reflections of Waters, Roger Waters' feeling because his dad was um, killed in World War II. Okay. Um, yeah, and so that's where this whole theme of his father missing and his mother. His mother lived until 2009, but he just felt very alienated. And yeah, that's kind of where the big theme of this comes from. That's where you're going to get most of your feelings, is right there. The wow. um, Another Brick in the Wall, part one. Happy Stage of Life and Part Two, awesome. Yeah, that's such a great that's such a great trio of songs to s- smash out inside one. Whenever I uh, I hit shuffle on my Spotify, another brick in the wall comes on, or another brick in the wall Part One comes on, I turn shuffle off because I have to listen to another brick in the wall, Happy Stage of Our Lives, and another and brick then, in the wall Part yeah. Two. Oh yeah. I I can't I can't stand when I don't listen to them together. Together, yeah, that's it's a very weird feeling going through shuffle like that yeah because i've had i've had a shit ton of these in my playlist now and then when it goes through shuffle and it plays part two and then it goes to some different crap and then it comes back and it plays part one later which i understand that part one part two was a radio hit but no i gotta hear the whole thing it's not gonna work yeah but um mother is a uh fantastic song to me Mm -hmm. i love it so much this is the song that does that has those drums. Yeah, that has on. Jeff Riccario on the yeah. drums, and I, man, I, I love the guitar tone. I love the lyrics. I love Gilmore's voice. Uh, absolutely fantastic. That is that's a smash hit right there, and it's hard to find. It's hard to find your amazing songs within a twenty list of, of well, I guess this is spoilers, but this is twenty four songs. When you're looking through 24 songs and they're all incredible, it's hard to find any that stand out. Yeah. That's one of them. 100%. It's incredible. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, but that's side one. You want to go through side two? Yeah. Side two is um, Goodbye Blue Sky, Empty Spaces, Young Lust, One of My Turns, Don't Leave Me Now, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 3, and Goodbye Cruel World. Um... Yeah, Goodbye Blue Sky leads into Empty Spaces, which then leads straight into Young Lust. And um, Young Lust is fantastic, too. Absolutely incredible. And the, again, these three songs lead into each other very well. Yes. And you get you get strong feelings from all of them, mm-hmm. I would say. Which I, um, I wanted to mention that all of the songs, except for, I believe, two of them on this album were written by Roger Waters. Okay. And um, Young Lust was one of the songs that David Gilmore helped Waters write. And um, honestly, I guess it was a good decision. Yes, it was. His, holy cow. The guitar tone in that song is fantastic. Also, it's probably one of my favorite David Gilmore 
guitar tones right behind dogs. Um, yeah, Don't Leave Me Now is also another interesting one. I love um, when you have headphones on and you can hear all the TVs turning on towards the end of Don't Leave Me Now. Then you hear Pink run across the room and smash him. Yes. And uh, goes into another brick in the wall part three. It's. Oh, man, I was very it's... confused by that when I heard it the first time. Yeah, it's just it's. But if it's you awesome. listen, if you listen close, you'll hear that sort of shit throughout the whole album. Yeah, um, it's it's a little intertwined stuff. Yeah. Because it's meant to tell a story and. Yeah. It yeah it just comes off really cool I think. Um, Goodbye Crew World is also a. Uh, Another slower one to mm-hmm. cap this yeah. side out, and yeah. it's also still pretty good, though. Yeah, it's definitely a very slow one, and honestly, the, those 12 songs by themselves could just be its own album. Yeah, 100%. Really could. It so could. I mean, you compare you could compare that directly to the, the Kinks album, where there's 12 songs, or I guess 13, and you have that hit in the middle, but mm-hmm. everything else is amazing, too. Yeah. You could, could directly compare it, but then they go and as you're going to see they just keep going the mm-hmm. album never stops getting 100%. better never stops getting better either as it goes on um, but we'll jump in that being said now to side 3 where we have Hey You Is There Anybody Out There Nobody Home Vera Bring the Boys Home and Comfortably Numb mm-hmm. and you might recognize one of those songs oh, like, yeah. especially um but let's let's talk about some of them before that. So, normally I'm the kind of guy that likes LP versions just because it has a warmer sound. Um, I don't have the wall. I wish I did. But when I listen to this on Spotify, the transition from a "Goodbye Cruel World" to a "Hey You" caught me pretty off guard. Actually, I'm not gonna lie. It it was really seamless for being in like a different side a different of the album and a whole nother side of an album uh i couldn't believe it either because after goodbye cruel world where it was so slow and i expected that to be more of a resounding resolve to a side Mm -hmm. and you know the title said that to me the way the song played out spoke that to me it was like okay this is we're finishing something off here this this next song is going to start something new here yeah uh no no it um (laughs) Yeah, it was. It caught me really off guard, but um, "Hey You" is one of my favorites off this album. Yeah, I love the uh, fretless bass. I I'm a big sucker for the bass, so <laughs> when I hear a fretless bass used very well, I'm already a fan of the song. But um, yeah, I like. I don't know. Is anybody out there? Also, is another one that's kind of weird. In the sense that there's not really much going on in the song itself, yeah. But it ties together pretty well with nobody home. Mm-hmm. You can that's self-explanatory. Yeah. Is anybody out there? No, nobody's no, home. Nobody's home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes they're very. Sometimes simple being the simplest as you can is being creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah, definitely no points off for that one. I I love I love that that little. <laughs> that little thing uh idea there yeah um but again two great tracks um but obviously the one everybody knows on this side the elephant in the room is uh comfortably numb um i'm not sure there's anything i could say that hasn't already been said about this yeah 
it's it's one of those situations where there's not much more we can where we can add yeah um, this song is an emotional explosion um I, it's hard to explain how much feeling is in david gilmore's guitar playing in this song and you might be laughing sitting there saying how can you feel from a guitar but dude after you listen to this whole album like up album until this point it's this it's is a, crazy this is a situation where yes the song by itself is out fucking standing and this is the point also this is a very critical point in this album storytelling because this is where pink you know the main character let's go mm-hmm. and let's whatever's bugging him pretty much consume him and he becomes you know comfortable with that feeling but you, yeah and you only get that story from the album mm-hmm. you need the album you need the album for these type of things hits are great singles are awesome they're great pieces by themselves but this one truly there's a lot of singles out there on albums that unlock that that feel even better after you listen to the whole album through mm-hmm. this one is the golden star standout example of that 100 percent. this this out this song just um is a very very high climactic point of this album very uh very good and um uh, honestly uh Maybe that's where the album, as you said, and as you've explained, and as yeah. I let you explain, um, maybe it should have ended here. Yeah, so I think this is where, I kind of think this is where the album should have ended. Now, it would obviously be a weird ending with only three sides in an album. But um, this song just, it's kind of like um, We Are the Champions with Queen. Like, such a crazy, like, song but it's not at the end like that's that'd be the perfect way to end an album but it's not there and um yeah this song is just too um i think what happened was waters wanted to keep writing since this was pretty much his child um and you know again the four, the four sides if you're gonna make a double album you might as well get another song use all your resources yeah. but um i feel like this album could have ended here and still be insanely good i wouldn't not 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 taking anything away from side four. Oh no 100 percent. it's just it's it 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 this it's not it's not our fault where we feel like it was supposed to end here because that's how they made us feel right like mm-hmm. you're gonna make us feel like oh this song is an amazing climactic ending and then you're gonna keep going and telling your story yeah okay that's i mean that's great Mm -hmm. would i would i have liked it more if this would i enjoy this album more if it ended there i'm gonna say probably and that might be that might be more controversial i guess than anything anything else i've said so far but i just feel let's get into side four i don't know man we trash guns and roses that might be oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, we did might ch- be the second <laughs> thing. <laughs> we did ch- we did do that. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, guys. <laughs> but let's get into side four, and I'll kind of explain more of my reasoning. Um, so on side four, we have the show must go on, in the flesh, run like hell, waiting for the worms, stop, the trail, 
and outside the wall. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if you're gonna you're gonna continue after comf comfortably numb, what better way to do it than the show must go on? Yeah, hundred percent. I was like, oh, that's uh, yeah, pretty funny that that's right there actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the point where, um, at least in terms of the story, um, Pink straight up turns to fascism and starts, um, influencing people to do very bad things, um, which is evident in, um, uh, in the flesh Yeah, when he's telling him to line up the Jews and the gays and... Um, we won't, very, go, we won't go on about that. <laughs> yeah, very um, weird way to go, I guess. But um, I do want to mention, I forgot to talk about how this album, like the idea was conceived. Um, Roger Waters was, and Pink Floyd were playing their In the Flesh tour, and I think it was 1977. And um, Waters felt this huge disconnect between the audience and the uh, band playing and he felt like there was a wall between them and uh it even went so far that he uh when fans were like lighting firecrackers on and he spat on one of them and threatened to go off the stage and beat him up and um at that point you realize like wow like there is a huge disconnect between me and the audience and um, kind of plays into this with that whole wall, which, speaking of that, their live shows for this album are incredible. Please um, go watch it. Yes. You told me about the live show, and I was like, okay, that sounds fucking cool. I watched it. Dude, oh, my God. <laughs> it is so epic. <laughs> it is so fucking cool. Like, it is... Pink Floyd are very well known for their live shows, and I think this is one of their standout reasons. Um... Please, please yeah. do yourself a favor. Go watch. Holy shit. But, um, yeah, this half of the album is very weird. Just because it's, it again, deals with that, like, fascist it's, idea. That's it's, It takes an interesting direction. It really does. And that's why it makes me wonder if this was just kind of like a, oh, write from, write, go this direction, write more songs. It's just because it kind of... It goes very far left in everything going right. It's just, it's yeah. weird. It, it, it's not what you would have, ex it's not the side I would have expecting after the first three sides. Obviously, expecting anything after Comfortably Numb was hard for me to do. Um, but then it def it goes and comes out of left field with this weirder tone on this one. And yes, it is somber as is the rest of the album mm -hmm. but it's somber in a different way it's not a somber that makes me feel something for the band and the artists and what's going what they're what the music is telling me it's yeah. somber and it's just that this is sad and cruel and it feels like very angry too yeah in the way that pink presents himself and um the trial is a uh, very goofy song i thought um, it's all those voices in his head talking about, like, oh, you're doing this, you can't leave, like, it's, very, very funny. Yeah, definitely a weird, uh, weird track. I'm kind of probably my, it's it's probably my favorite on side four. Yeah, because of how fun, how interesting it is. I um, think my favorite is outside the wall. I love the uh, very slow, 
almost like smooth ending it has. It's and they needed that. Yeah, and um, it also leads, funny enough, right back to uh, in the flesh. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, with, the, reason, uh, with the reason why we're saying it like that is because there's a question mark behind it. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's waters like isn't this the way we came in? But um, it basically says that you know this thing that happens to pink relapses even though it's came to this slow i've escaped this wall conclusion it can happen again it sort of makes you think like you know this is something that happened in this guy's life it tells you kind of like okay the first three sides tell me that something's happening to this guy and eventually finally with comfortably numb he lets it lets it go but then there's something that happens that after he lets go it grabs right back onto him yeah the evil grabs him he escapes it, and then it that thought process just goes again so he just can't escape whatever so it's, it is yeah it's a never ending cruel cycle which is a pretty dark ending it's a dark ending which is why it's it's a dark ending if this if this album were to end at side 3 it would be seen as a happy great ending to this guy's life or to this guy's kind of story. But the fact that Side 4 introduces these ideas and kind of makes him relapse, it makes you kind of just wonder. And like you said, the way it repeats back into Side 1 so easily, it makes you wonder how much of a cycle this really is. It really is. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of terrifying to think about. But yeah. um, what's nuts is this album spent 12 weeks on number 1, and it was certified platinum, I think, within a month of when it was released. Which, <laughs> no, you have I to go agree. through silver, or I can't remember the first one. It might be silver or bronze, but it's, platinum is like the highest you can get. Not obviously, yeah. And to achieve that in a month is incredible. We've all played Wii Sports. We know the platinum medal. Yeah, so it's, 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 the it's high. Highest it's honor. hard to do. Um, and this... What an incredible feat. Mm-hmm. Has it been done again since? Not that I know of. Not that I know Honestly, of it's... I can't think of any band that might even... That might even, like, get close. The one I could think of is maybe Thriller by Michael Jackson. By, oh, yeah, but okay. I think that was more of an overtime thing, more than it was, like, a... Right when it was released. Yeah, because... Because I know Thriller is one of the best-selling albums of all time. Yeah. And without that, that, I feel like that leaked into like the 2000s. And mm-hmm. I think it definitely did. But with this one, it kind of. It yeah. was instantly, which, yeah. you know, Pink Floyd had already been known by this time with um, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, Wish You Were Here, Animals. This, this brought um, rock operas to a whole nother level. Yes. Because before then, rock operas, there were some like Tommy and all that, but they were very loose. Um, I think this one, very tightly wound. Oh, yeah. With the storytelling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. You know, there was definitely an objective with this album. Yes. You can definitely tell. And while that objective might have changed with their, you know, side three to side four kind of deal, you can tell there still was an objective here. Mm-hmm. And they went after it sought after it and holy cow 
they uh, they smash this album out of the fucking atmosphere. I can't even say park because there was <laughs> yeah. no park to begin with. <laughs> it just an incredible album, and one if there's an album, you guys, that I'm gonna tell you to listen to the whole way through, like after we're you know we're one of like when we're a hundred episodes in or whatever, and we have like three hundred albums we've gone over. If there's one, I'm gonna tell you to listen to. If somebody comes to me and tells me, pick one album for me to listen to all the way through, it's this one. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe down the line, I'll get to some albums that have, I, I like more, I like a certain songs better. Yeah. But the way this album tells its, its own story through the lens of Walters, and it's, it's, I can't, I can't describe how fucking epic this album is. Yeah, the story of Pink is a tragic one, and, I, yeah, I don't think I could put into words how incredible this album is. This, it's not only incredible, but it's just like a, it kind of blows my mind how well it is, considering how many songs are on this album. Mm-hmm. Like, it is nuts. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a heavy hitter for sure. Which there's so much material. They released, um, the final cut also in 1982, which was... A whole album made up of leftover material from the wall sessions. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? There could have been a, two more sides to this thing. That is crazy. <laughs> all in, I don't even know. They could, they didn't spend all too long making it because they just went they went on the tour in 1977. Yeah, I think it was over a course of a year. I want to say. Yeah, because they went in the in the flesh tour in 1977, and mm-hmm. so I, it must have been after that. But yeah, obviously before 1979 when it was released. So holy crap, man! Insane, incredible storytelling in that short amount of time. Yeah, but that is that is the that, wall. That is the wall. That's what. It, that's it, guys. Uh, we can't. No amount of talking that we can do on this podcast is going to do that album justice. Please, please. Please, yes. Go listen to it. Go Holy listen to it crap. all the way through. It's a long album, but you know what? It is worth it. It is one of those albums. I'd argue you have to listen to it at least once in your life. Yeah, can't miss it. Crazy album. Can't miss it. I am glad I did it now. I'm glad you told me about it because my God, what an experience! The album itself, an experience. Also, go watch the live show because that is fucking crazy. And I mean, if you really want to get into it, there's a movie. That came out yeah. a year later. You told me about that. Very strange movie, but um, if you want to paint like a picture for it, it I think the movie does a decent job picturing the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So if you can't can't really imagine it in your head, there you go. Mm-hmm. But that is gonna be it. That's all we're gonna we talked we talked that album's ass off. Oh yeah. Um, but we'll move on reluctantly. <laughs> um, but next. We are moving just two years, two years ahead to 1981. Uh, another, I would say, popular band. Maybe not the most popular from this era. Maybe you don't exactly know. Yeah. Um, it is Blue Oyster Cult, um, and we're gonna go over. I think this is their sixth studio album. It's like fifth or sixth. I think it's fifth. You think it's fifth? Okay. Because they're talking about how everyone consider considers it their fourth. But it's not. So it's probably so. It's so I think it's fifth. their fifth. But um, 
Uh, yeah, this another fantastic record, actually. Uh, yeah, another incredible one. This is Fire of Unknown Origin. Uh, another Columbia, another Columbia Records. Um, we'll get we'll get straight into the to the band members here. We have Eric Bloom, who played rhythm guitar and had vocals. Uh, we have Donald Roser, who played lead guitar, vocals, percussion. Uh, Alan Lanier, who had mostly keyboard stuff with piano. Mm-hmm. Joe Bouchard and Albert Bouchard. Uh, Joe did more bass, and Albert did more synth stuff. Um, that, that's that's a five man band right there. Yep. Um, we've got a nine nine song album. Definitely, yes. uh, definitely a lot lot easier to lot easier to listen to. I'd say than the than the wall. Which yeah. Is very very long. Um, but, I um I do want to say one thing about this band. I love the uh creepy atmosphere this band has um they just their sound their songs can be so charming but sound so dark at the same time and i think that is something that's not easy to do and they did it very well it is very hard to do because i know i know that because they're the only band i've heard so far that's done it i think Mm -hmm. successfully because they're not just it's not just dark and it's dark and bad and sad and and the songs are all somber and they don't have a beat to them they're just this heavy heavy tone heavy instrumentals just trying yeah. to get down no this song or this album isn't like that at all but yeah these um this album was uh the band's first successful album in cuz i think their last two albums didn't do so well which um Cultosaurus Erectus and uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the last one that came before that, but they uh, mirrors. Yeah. But they um, they didn't sell very well, so there's kind of I don't want to say there was tension in this and making this, yeah, but there was something. that thing under them. It's like you need to do something, or yeah. That labels put that pressure on you too, so there's a lot yes, of pressure, do. a lot of pressure on these guys to get it right, and uh, they definitely did. Yes. Which, um, side one consists of Fire of Unknown Origin, Burning for You, um, Veteran of the Psychic Wars, Soul Survivor, and Heavy Metal, Black and Silver. Uh, uh so let's, let's just start with it, with it right with the title track. What, yeah. what do you feel about the title track? Incredible. Of course. Um, I mean, it's, that, it's very, it's a, it's one, I think it's one of the longer songs in the album. I think so, yeah. Right behind, it's burning for you yeah i think that's actually the longest i think that's like six minutes or something but um i love the way that death is described in this song you know death comes creeping down the highway car accidents death sweeps you off sleeps you off your feet like a lady's dress mm-hmm. um it's, it doesn't matter where you are it will get you it's so unique so unique the word play that is something you can notice from any blue cloister album blue Co- Blue Oyster, Blue Coyster, Blue Coyster album. <laughs> I, I I noticed that listening to any album of theirs and picking any song, you have fantastic wordplay. Yes, you have fantastic, fantastic wordplay and vocals in general. I also it's love incredible. when um, Eric Bloom's like, "Death comes creeping, I can't do nothing." Cause yeah, it's true. It's true. You can't. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Um. And a lot again. There's a tone with that with a lot of these songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's go to uh, vet, veteran of the psychic war. 
that is literally talking about how he's been in a psych he's been in thousands of psych wards <laughs> yeah which um this album actually or this song was um written by i can't think of the guy's name right now warcock was his last name but um pretty much invented the kind of the sci-fi genre um hmm. it's the story of the song is loosely based on a story of his about a guy who wields a sword that kind of takes over his mind a little bit so he's a little bit crazy and those wars that he's in is him fighting other people but um very awesome song which uh there's a um adult cartoon which i don't mean other adult cartoon i mean there's a lot of blood and stuff in it but um this a lot of the tracks on this song on this album were written for that movie heavy metal is the movie mm-hmm. oddly enough the one that was not written for that movie which was veteran of the psychic wars was used <laughs> <laughs> was it yeah it's funny i just thought that was um, <laughs> pretty funny but um burning for you was also a, a very good oh um, yeah this is an easier song to listen to i think yeah 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 i would say um, so it's more of a it, it's not you can't tell it's dark tones yeah and it doesn't even have that many which is the only single from this album so it kind of makes yeah, sense it but makes um sense. this song um buck dharma which is donald rosier um originally didn't even want to put it on here he's like mm-hmm. you know i don't know and he was urged by everyone else to put it on here and it sold very well so uh, that's a, it was a good decision yeah but uh soul survivors great harmonies oh yeah Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's when I, I when I think about on this might be a little interesting, but when I think about this album, that's the song that stands out to me. That's the first song I remember. Yeah. Whenever I th- whenever I th- thought about it, it's a very good song. Um, um, I love. Yeah, I absolutely love the symphonies in that. Um, but going on to side two, we have Vengeance, uh, After Dark, Joan Crawford, and Don't Turn Your Back, and um, I'm jumping over to side two because Vengeance really struck out to me as well yeah vengeance was that in particular the song they wanted for that heavy metal movie Mm -hmm. and um it didn't get it but yeah uh vengeance i think that's also a pretty long song it's pretty long if i remember that it's all there's basically a guitar going the whole time yeah uh it's a very very yeah yeah i think it's it's probably actually the second longest Mm -hmm. burning for you's gotta be the longest I think so, but I know Vengeance is pretty close. Yeah, it's got to be pretty close. Um, but we have After Dark there, and Joan Crawford was a freaking weird one. Uh, who's Joan Crawford? Um, so she was an actress. Um, I think later in her career, I wrote it here, she starred in a lot of zombie films. Okay. But um, I actually love that song. I love it too. The that, um, that piano, that classical piano yes. in the beginning is fantastic. That's amazing. Um, all the weird noises. Yep. There's weird noises in this Which, album. Um, was Buck Dharma? That was his idea was to his. put all those weird ass sounds. But um, I really like this song, just because another, again it's that weird like what the hell is this song? <laughs> Every time I play the song, someone asks me who the hell Joan Crawford is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like why is that why the name Joan of the song? Guys? What the hell? But oh. yeah, don't turn your back. Uh, another good song. That song, I like that song's intro. Mm-hmm. I hate to jut in, but I really enjoyed the intro yes. of that song. Yes, actually, I was just about to mention that. <laughs> but 
also every time I look at this song, I see "Don't Look Back" by Boston. By Boston, whenever you. It's so stupid because they're completely they're, different. Yeah. But um. This is "Don't Turn Your Back." Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know. I listened to this album three different times because I wanted to pick a favorite from this album, which incredibly hard by the way <laughs> yeah he was I, um, telling me all about it how much he was struggling to do that so many of them i could have picked but i think in the end my favorite's heavy metal black and silver okay i wouldn't have guessed that one i i love the guitar work it sounds crazy i don't even know what the hell they were doing with their guitar <laughs> i guess i agree with that yeah it sounds really so weird. weird it's really weird that riff to me is really catchy also I think I might be confusing Heavy Metal and Vengeance. Well, Vengeance in the Pack is pretty a uh, heavy one. Yeah, that's I'm that's they're similar, which is why I might be confusing yeah, them. Yeah, but um, yeah, they do some strange things with it. And I just I love the vocal harmonies again. Fantastic! I think Blue Oyster Cult does a very good job uh-huh. on that. This was, uh, in my opinion, uh, this, these vocals were more outstanding than the previous two. And obviously the Kinks, you know, with that bluesy kind of feel, they did a lot of vocals in their songs mm-hmm. uh, compared to what you're hearing in this album and in the and in the Wall. Um, but I I still think, yeah, out of all of them, I think I prefer vocals. And I might be a bigger vocals guy than you are or maybe a lot of other classic rock fans because... You know, I know, for me, I look for song structure. Like, yeah, is everyone playing their part? Does mm-hmm. the mix very well? Which this is a pretty well-mixed album, mm-hmm. I think. And those two things are basically the two most important things you need out of a classic rock. But yes, yeah, so when I hear good vocals, I'm like, yeah, that definitely boosts the it, respect I have of this album. It's a it's something that's like I kind of got mixed in with that. I you know, the current kind of music where it's basically all vocals all the time, mm-hmm. and I you know there's that and classic rock in my life at the same time, and it's like well you know now when i go back and listen to these classic rock bands it's something that i look for and it's not because i it's kind of because i was just it's kind of instinct now it's yeah i've liked in current culture songs and so i look for it when i look back and that's why that's kind of why i'm a bigger fan of bands like bob seger and you know more bands like that just Mm -hmm. the and maybe dire straits like they they have a heavier influence stadium or stadium arcadium things like that they have a heavier influence in vocals and maybe and that's why you know i'm kind of that guy and yeah. so i enjoyed this album a lot for that reason that's why i enjoyed nantucket it's why i, I liked i like choice cuts for that reason mm-hmm. um and obviously i love boston for that reason but i i do agree this song is mixed perfectly um it doesn't have any of that loud feeling that you no. might get from um, like more of the harder side of rock doesn't have a single ounce of that it's mixed perfectly I love each and every track it's got there's something unique about them all mm-hmm. I, I would say Heavy Metal and Vengeance are two, the two similar most similar songs here um, they do but they both have uh, a guitar riff basically present throughout yeah. and I think I'm I, 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 I'm mixing the two songs up in my head as I'm thinking about them right now I even um, but other than that, this is a great album. Yeah, I um, speaking of vocals, I also wanted to mention those uh, those harmonies fit Blue Oyster Cult so well. 
because they are so ominous. Yes. And like uh, Burning For You, the uh, the stuff they do in the beginning, it's like, it sounds creepy to a light, kind of a lighthearted sound. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's it's so weird. And it's, I love it. It's I love it for that. The way they, they know what they're doing. They know who they are. They know they're making these harmonies sound the way they're sounding. They know they're making them sound with that little tinge of ominous, ominous yeah. feeling in there. Um, and you get that obviously from the lyrics and the vibe of the instruments and things like that mm-hmm. uh, very good album yeah very I think at album. one point they were called the most mysterious band in the world or something like that <laughs> I, just because I, I would agree with that their intentions behind their songs were very strange and like that's strange they weren't outwardly like terrible intentions but no. they weren't good intentions yeah it was just it was very dark stuff they're dealing with you know death but it's a fun twist it's a fun twist Sonny mm-hmm. it's I would say it's a it's not what you're getting from side four in the wall. No. It's different than that. Mm-hmm. Um side four was weird in the fact that it was dark for kinda no reason. They kinda came out of the field and was all and even like more of a different reason with uh you know, even the ending of that album, it's not dark in the sense of like death. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is what this album is. Um it was more dark in the sense, you know, a repeat. Um I like this dark though. I like yeah. this. It's a light-hearted. It's about as light-hearted as dark as you can get. Yeah. It's talking about death, which is about. I mean, that's terrible, but it makes it light-hearted in some way, and it's it's crazy how they're able to do it. It's like taking a stuffed animal bunny and making it a serial killer. It's yeah. like. Yeah. It's like how. Two opposing things. Yeah. But they but they combined. clash clash perfectly. Uh, it's yeah, it's incredible. Um, I. Yeah, yeah, Blue Oyster Cult's one of my favorites, and mm-hmm. that's yeah. why they do it so well. I'm sure you've heard a lot of their stuff, even if you know you don't know the album. Maybe you aren't even familiar with the song names here, but I know heard... you've all heard "Don't Fear the Reaper." Yeah, you're, you're that's lying for sure. if you've never heard yeah, that, that song. Yeah, that's for sure. Holy cow, what a great song! But yeah, I was uh, that was the album I originally wanted to do when going over these guys, but that one is a great album. Yes, it is. Agents well. of Fortune Agents is very incredible. Mm-hmm. And then what was the other one? Uh, the artwork that's got the black and white. Uh... Oh, Tyranny and Mutation. Tyranny and Mutation. Their, um, yeah, their early stuff has a really strange sound to it. But I, uh, I love it. Again, this is the more evolved version of that sound they started out with. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, the, the this is like a definitive Blue Oyster Cult right here. And I think they only released, I think they released a live album after this. Yeah, this was it, basically. And then Club Ninja in 1985. And then, which, I've seen these guys live, and they're, for old men, they're pretty, uh, pretty fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) They do that mysterious thing in their vocals very well now than they ever have. It's (laughs) crazy. That's pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I gotta catch one of these bands, man. Yeah, I saw them live in Lincoln uh, when I was in high school in this... It wasn't even like a theater. It was like a almost like a bar sort of thing. Oh, like even better. Like, if I could find a fucking bar yeah, nowadays... Which I was talking about I want to see Nantuck in a bar, I think. Yes. One of so these days I'm going to have to go cool. back and see if I can uh, maybe find them. That, is, that would be so damn cool. Nantucket at a bar concert. Oh my god. I just... I think band concerts are so... Or bar concerts. Bar concerts, yeah. not band concerts. Bar concerts are uh, 
diff- a completely different atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just because you feel more there with your yeah. uh, who's performing. With who's per- you're right next to them, basically. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, I feel like concerts are very much, are a lot louder. There's a lot more people around you. They're screaming. Yeah. And the microphones are definitely louder at a concert. The instruments are that louder at a concert. There's bright lights at a concert flashing everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a lot compared to the atmosphere of a bar concert. Uh, which I've only seen on video I haven't been to but I if there's one thing I want to do before I die that's got to be it yeah <laughs> that's got to be it man Pink Floyd needs to do a do a bar concert <laughs> put a wall uh, put a wall I, between I the <laughs> the uh, little stage you're on and the uh, bar goers <laughs> that one might be hard to find <laughs> it'd be hard pressed if that happened especially since I don't even think Roger Waters yeah. would step near a fucking bar but yeah um, but that is Fire of Unknown Origin mm-hmm. by Blue Oyster Cult. And that gives us 18 albums. Yes. We're on 18. Um, we're going to get to 21 next week. And I think I think we're going to do our list at 30. I think we'll do 30. Uh, and then, you know, we'll get to 60 eventually maybe. And we'll go from there. Yep. Um, but, yeah, this, uh, this, has been, this was a lot of fun again this week. Yeah, this is a very, uh, very strong week. Oh, for sure, definitely a very one of our stronger, stronger uh, classic rock talks with all of the heavy hitters we got here. Evident also by the runtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know when the runtime is over forty-five minutes and it starts creeping up to an hour. It's that, uh, we have a lot to say. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, so, uh, but that's gonna be it for today's episode of Classic Rock Talk. Hope you guys enjoyed. Um, we'll probably be back similar time next week. Yep. You know what? If we've got the time this week, weekend, who knows? We got a lot of stuff to do. Um, but fall break's right around the corner. Yes, so it you're, is. You're definitely going to get one during that, during fall break. Um, but as I said, thank you guys so much for watching. This was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Which actually, kind of fitting, we did a Blue Oyster Cult before yeah. fall break. Well, right before fall kind break. Kind of funny. Before, before to the end of October gets here. Um, but that's going to do it. Thank you guys for listening. And we will see you guys next time on the next episode of Classic Rock Talk. Yep. See you later.